two preseason games, two very, very different results, and, you know, let the over-analysis begin. It's 1973, a New York Knicks podcast. My name is Alan Feller, and we're kind of excited because after many, many months of watching from the sidelines, watching other teams uh, get a chance to shine in the bubble, the Knicks really, you know, have been inactive for as long as we can remember. So when the Knicks started their preseason on Friday, I mean, there is definitely a, you know, a little bit of a jolt of excitement. So as Knicks fans, always expecting the worst. And Friday was surprisingly uh, uplifting because I think, you know, with a coach like uh, Thibs, I think we, we have someone who not only pays attention to the defensive side of the ball, but instills it in his players. And I think even with Sunday's um, debacle, I think you still got to see them play a better brand of team defense overall, first half notwithstanding, than we've seen in, in a long time. So I think that's a good thing. But as far as you know, the player development, as far as the talent level on this team, you know, we're going to take a beating for a while. I mean, this, this team is missing a lot of pieces, and we still don't have that number one level point guard. And we'll get into it. But I think first things first. I think first, let's, let's start with the good. You know, Friday night against the Pistons, you, know, you, you really don't know what to expect. I mean, a lot of the players, you know, are players that we did see last year, but under very trying circumstances. Obviously, under the Fisdale uh, beginning, which was terrible, and even Mike Miller trying to do the best he can, but still, you, know, you just you didn't have a lot to work with. And you know what what we saw was you know some really really good uh, minutes by Obi Toppin, and I think that's what we wanted to see. I think we saw a player who has a variety of spin moves, and I think has a confidence about his offensive game. And I think we'll and we'll get into you know the ups and downs that he's going to have, but I mean he. He was efficient, you know. He scored, you know. He he scored a decent clip. He had rebounds. I mean, he looked okay. He you know for you know for a first game, and I understand you know people get caught up in age. They say, well, he's twenty two. He should be comfortable in the NBA game. He's older than most of the Knicks as it is, and I get that. I understand that. Obviously, if you're coming into the league as a nineteen year old or a twenty year old, it, it's you know I think and that's what NBA fans. You know, want they want the super young player who develops, who gives you more years. I'm not quite as sold on that principle, and I get I'm sure there's a mountain of data that shows that players that come in early, by the time they are 22, 23, they're you know they're starting to hit their stride. But also, but with an older player, I think what happens is too is that you know you're not fighting the development curve you know throughout the beginning stages of their career. I think Obi is a more developed player. And maybe he can, you know, learn the NBA game a little differently. Because as Nick fans, I mean, we don't have to be reminded that when you see a Kevin Knox or a Frank Nilakina, and yes, they came in, you know, to the league as babies, but, you know, on a team like the Knicks where player development was not exactly, you know, the most uh, revered of, of tactics, you know, we're, you know, it's been a, it's been a train wreck. So... Sometimes having a player develop and get that development uh, trajectory, 
you know, starting in college and, and building it. So by the time they come to the NBA, there's, there's more there, especially without the pressure and without the lights, you know, that professional basketball gives you. So overall, not necessarily the worst thing in the world to come into the league a little bit more prepared than a Frank Nilekina or a Kevin Knox. And, and we'll get to those guys as well. But Obi Toppin, yeah, and that's really what I want to see. We want to see, can this player project out to be, you know, a success based on his draft position, based on what he can give you? Now, defensively, is gonna, you know, we're going to have some issues because <clears throat> not just his size and strength against uh, larger opponents down low, but, yeah, the quickness that some of them are going to show in the paint, yeah, he's, he's got to keep his body in front of his, of his, of his uh, opponent. And he's going to have problems. There's no question. But I think Obi Toppin is in the perfect situation with a perfect coach to help him learn team defense and get his positioning down. So I have confidence that Obi is going to be a pretty good player, if not a, a really good player. Because um, one of the things I really liked about him, and this is something that, you know, as far as his second game showed you, his release on his three-point is, is tremendous. He's definitely a really, you know, natural shooter. Um, and I think as he gets more confidence and as he gets more playing time, the Knicks will be very pleasantly surprised with the output that he can give you. So that was a really good surprise. And the other good surprise was the emergence of R.J. Barrett after his horrible beginning uh, to the first game against the Pistons. Because when he came out, R.J. Barrett, no question, nervous, on edge, you know, maybe overhyped, overjuiced. He was totally off his game. Air balls, terrible-looking shots, bad decisions. He looked really bad. And all the Nick message boards were lighting up saying, oh, here we go, R.J. Barrett, our number three pick, total disaster. Why couldn't we get John Moran? And of course, you, you're watching this team, and you're just, oh boy, here we go. This is our this is our future. But you saw R.J. Barrett. You saw what happened um, as the game developed last night, and, and even you know the second half of his first game against the Pistons. All of a sudden, guess what? He was hitting his mid range shots. He was he definitely hit a three last night, and he. You know, he's his ball handling, his decision making, he's a take charge type of athlete. And you saw that with Duke also. Even with Zion, I mean, RJ Barrett was, you know, the ball was in his hands a good chunk of the time. And you're okay with that. He's, he's a talented player. His biggest problem is, you know, his own confidence and the organization that he's playing for. And you can never discount that as a Knicks fan. Because, you know, and this is the thing about Knicks fans is that. We love to take apart and rip these players and just say that they, you know, they don't have what it takes. They don't have the skills. It's bad decision-making by the Knicks. But, you know, it's, the truth is, yeah, organizationally, we're terrible for young players. And historically, that's always been the case. And, you know, outside of a Patrick Ewing or even a Mark Jackson, you know, our development is terrible. Every decent player had to leave New York to become, you know, something decent whether it's a Rod Strickland, whether it's, you know, you, you, name, the, you name the player and their, their arc of their career, you know, started to ascend upon leaving the Knicks. And what we're dealing with now is a similar, you know, pattern because the players we're developing, it's, you know, mostly a mixed bag. 
and we'll get into the rest of the guys. Now, the player that's seen more up and down emotion, I think, than anyone right now is, is Dennis Smith Jr. Because, you know, when he came into the league, you know, he, there's, a, there's an explosiveness. There was a real buzz about his talent level. But a lot of the other things that, you know, that surround him, whether it's the work ethic, whether it's his adjustment, his attitude to, you know, toward playing or coming off the bench, you know, there, there's a lot of question marks. And I think Dennis Smith Jr., I think what you saw in those first two games is a player that, um, you know, is not confident running an offense. And, and you could see, you can watch, you know, Tibbs really look and try to motivate him, talk him on the sidelines when he came out of the game and try to give him a little pep talk. And, and I guess, yeah, I, I think he doesn't want to give up. The organization doesn't want to give up on him considering he is, you know, one of the cornerstone pieces we got back in the uh, Porzingis trade. And there was a real hope that he would mature. And I guess, you know, based on what he went through last year with all the, t- the terrible loss of you know, family members and his own issues, I think it's, you know, there was a hope that this year he would turn it around and give you a little something. But it's tough as a Knicks fan to watch Dennis Smith run that offense. And it's not like we're, we're ha- we have, you know, Tiny Archibald to compare him to. I mean, we're, we're comparing him to Eifert Payton and, yeah, at this point, Manuel Quickly. <laughs> so it's not like we're comparing him with, you know, the gods of, of point guards. But he did not look comfortable. He, he's, he's not someone you expect to, you know, really lead this, this team forward. And I, I wouldn't put that kind of faith or responsibility in his hands. And any Knicks fan that, that watched Dennis Smith Jr. the last couple of games, can, I think, can see that. This is not a player who right now has the ability to lead this, this offense. And he's making bad decisions. His shot making is not great. His distribution is not great. It's, it's a really bad situation. And I think that, I, mean, I don't know if, what you can do to fix him at this point, but to keep putting him out on the floor, I think you do a disservice to all the other players who need someone to motivate. Now, Alfred Payton, you know, he is, for, you know, for better or for worse, he is your, probably your best point guard you have on the team. You know, Frank Nilakina, I think we're learning, is not a number one. He's a number two. You know, he gives you that great defense. And I think, to, I think we have to start, you know, t- moving away from Frank Nilakina as this point guard um, project that has to continue. I think he's, an, he's, a, he's a shooting guard with great defensive skills and you know, hopefully a burgeoning offensive game. But you know, I'm not holding my breath on that either. I mean, really, you know, Peyton is going to be running this offense, and he's, yeah, he's a skilled uh, distributor. You know, he can make you know he can make the right pass. He has good overall decision making. You know, he's not he's not the greatest offensive threat, but he can he can get your ten points. He can get your triple doubles. He's that you know he has enough in his tank to score some points and give you some um, you know really you know decent scoring. But he's not someone you can expect to light it up. So that's our best point guard option. Now the player who I think most Nick fans really did want to see. Emmanuel quickly, he had no running time in game one. And, and I understand that. I think with, with preseason, you know, there's, there's always an inclination to say, okay, we're going to put all our draft picks, all our young players, you know, you want to see Iggy, you want to see 
Emmanuel quickly. You want to see these these young guys get some burn, get some opportunities. Let's see what they can do. And and I think not every coach has that mentality. I think a lot of coaches, you know, Tom Thibodeau, you know, included in that. I think he has very little time to prepare. He's only a handful of games. I believe four, you know, preseason games, and then the season starts. And you don't have a lot of room to maneuver. So you have to get your lineups in place. He's got to see what players work, you know. And he doesn't want to experiment and try to throw too many players in. Because if you're talking 9, 10, 11 players that you're running out there, you know, it's, that's enough. You don't need to start looking at, well, let's look at the 12th man. Let's look at the 13th. It's, he doesn't have a lot of time. This is, you know, and I'm going to argue conversely, the Knicks are terrible. This is a terrible team. This is a team that's going to be in last place or close to last place. So to me, worrying about what lineup clicks and you know how much winning you're going to get out of these guys, I think that's secondary. I think you have to be on a development you know, line of thinking. You have to look at this team and say, okay, we got a lot of shit on this team. We have a lot of team that we have a lot of players that are not going to be here a year from now or two years from now and are really marginal NBA players at best. And we've got some players who may stand the test of time. We don't know. So I think that when you're looking at development, and and I like Reggie Bullock too. I, like, I think Bullock's a good shooter. He's a good stabilizing force on the team. But so what? Is he going to be here two years from now, three years from now? Maybe. But, you know, I think I'd rather see Emmanuel quickly out there. And Emmanuel quickly is one of those players, like last night he comes in the game, you immediately notice the difference between him and a Frank Nilakina or a Dennis Smith Jr. He's got a bounce in his step. His ball handling certainly is decent to pretty good. Um, he certainly puts the offense in a different speed. You know, he's, I mean, quickly, his, you know, his name fits. He's moving with and without the ball. He's got good instincts. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, we'll see. Hopefully, I would like to see him get more time, start to look for more shots. You know, he had his floater attempt. You know, he picked a rebound, put it in. We know he's a good field, you know, free throw shooter. He's a good three-point shooter from everything that we know. It would be nice to see more of, you know, that kind of game from him. Liked his energy. You know, whether he's a starting point guard in the NBA, who knows. But it was, you know, it was good to see him play a little bit. Um, you know, I would, of course, we also would like to see Iggy get some opportunities and some time. I'm not feeling that from, you know, from Tibbs right now. I don't feel like he's going to give him, you know, that kind of play yet. And maybe, maybe it's not warranted. But as a Knicks fan, you want to see your team put those young guys out there. Yeah, okay, you can mix the lamps. You have you know, 48 minutes to play with, you know, and if you're worrying about winning the game and getting into that, well, we have to win the game, you know, the Knicks are terrible. They're not winning games, and if you are winning games, you're defeating the point because winning games with veterans are not going to be here and letting your young players, you know, be, con- you know, confused about their role, I think that's a problem too. And I think we're seeing that. The most obvious uh, example of that is the is the Mitchell Robinson Nerlens Noel issue, where you have two players who can do very similar things with very similar uh, patterns, including fouling and you know some questionable decision making defensively, 
and they're both trying to you know figure out where they stand with the team. Mitchell Robinson was unquestionably a starter as of last year, and he's your you know field goal percentage leader in the NBA, one of the highest since Will Chamberlain, and a player that excites the crowd. And you want to see him develop. And, you're, and what you saw in the last couple of games is a player who's not really developed. You know, I guess you know, there's no outside shot that is anywhere in evidence. Um, his his decision making just as questionable this year, last year, the year before. Nothing has really evolved. Um, his, what what looked great was his quick hands and his ability to make steals and do you know tremendous defensive damage in game one. I was really impressed with that. Um, but his comfort around the basket seemed to have taken a step back. Not quite as confident as he was even in last year in the doldrums that we dealt with. So with Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel, I, th- I think you know they're ping-ponging back and forth with who's going to start, who's going to come off the bench, what their roles are. I mean, for the Knicks, yeah, you get very similar type of rim protector, uh, you know, rim you know, slammer, defender. You know, you get the same guy basically for the entire game. You get 12 fouls between the two of them, and they're going to need every every single foul. So that's that's what you're getting. But what else, but you're losing is, is a buildup of confidence because both of them are going to be competing against each other and maybe to a detrimental effect. And I think you have to kind of pick one over the other if you're going to, um, you know, get anywhere. And that's my concern, is having two of the same type of player. And uh, it sounded good on paper. And I think before the season there was a sense, oh, we got Noel, it's great. Got a very good deal on him financially. And, uh, you know, instead we're, you know, we're looking at two players who may be less than the sum of their parts at least the way it looks so far. So that's a concern. Uh, but I think we got to talk about a couple other players too. And I think the number one player that stands up, you know, as far as the rest, is Julius Randle. Because Randle doesn't play a modern NBA game. And he's, you know, he is your primary scorer at this point. He's the guy who you look to to bear the burden of scoring on this team. I mean, R.J. Barrett, I hope, will you know, take on that mantle and, and, and eventually be the alpha scorer on this team. At least that's what it appears like. Um, but right now, Julius Randle is your scorer. He's your guy who's getting the ball down low, making his twists and his spins and his turns, putting a ball up, missing it, getting a rebound, putting it up again, maybe hitting it, maybe getting fouled. You know, it slows the game down. It takes a lot of the other players out of their rhythms as they stand around watching Julius operate. And I think that's what you're getting into. You're getting into a situation where when, when you watch a player operate, and we've had this, you know, the Knicks have had versions of this for many, many years. And you can even go back to Patrick Ewing. As, you know, and I love Ewing. Ewing was tremendous. But Ewing, you know, the ball would go into Ewing, and he would do his moves. Sometimes he would go forward. Sometimes he would go back. He had his jump shooting. But you'd have to let Patrick operate. He was your alpha. He was your number one player. Of course, he's a Hall of Famer, so you don't mind that. You don't mind him operating. But what would happen is the other players on the team would stand around and wait for the kick out or try to move a little bit. But it was, you know, you know that's, that's the situation. Julius Randle is not Patrick Ewing or Carmelo. 
even for that matter. Julius Randle is a decent, okay, you know, secondary tertiary option on a on a on a decent team. He's usually a, he'll be a bench guy for a really good team, and he's you know he's a player who can do some nice things, but you know the ball just disappears. And it's not, it's not the greatest thing for team chemistry to watch a player operate and move and twist in the paint while everyone's standing around caught flat-footed because when he does miss and his ball misses and the other team gets the rebound, everyone in the Knicks are flat-footed and defensively you get creamed. So, you know, never like a team that just stands around watching. And I think with Randall's game, that's going to be a problem. But what do you do with him? You know, Tom Thibodeau is not going to want to lose every game. He's going to want to pull some out, and unfortunately, you know, his scoring option that he needs to win games is going to be Julius Randle. So will Julius, you know, evolve as a player? I mean, he's been in the league now long enough, and he's with a team that's maybe ill-suited for his skills. So that's going to be a problem. I don't think we're going to get away from that anytime soon. Now, of course, Austin Rivers was hurt, so we didn't get a chance to see him yet. Um, Alec Burks. You know what? Man can shoot. Definitely gave them a spark when the Knicks were really looking terrible and looked like the game was really getting away from them. Burks came in, was scoring, has some confidence. It's a really nice player to have on the team. Glad we have him. We need all the shooting we can get. And, you know, the thing is, we have some shooters, but we really, the first two games, have not witnessed any kind of good shooting from the Knicks. The Knicks were terrible. The Knicks' percentages were extraordinarily low from three-point, well below, it looks like 30%. And as far as everything else goes, we're, we're just not, not, not great offensively. And they look like it. And of course, with a team of mostly 20, 21, 22-year-old players, yeah, you're going to run into a real mess. But, you know, Alec, Alec Burks, uh, pretty good. Not bad. You know, we'll see what, we'll see what the future holds you know, moving forward with him. I think he was a nice pickup. As far as our buddy Frank Nilakina, uh, not a lot of playing time overall. I mean, he got some minutes. Um, you know, he looked had a couple of decent shots. looked looked okay. Um, defensively, he certainly you know, he brings everything to the table. He's gonna he's gonna get some second unit run time. He may, you know, he may be plugged in as time goes on. I think he's gonna settle into that role as a secondary. Uh, player on the team as a, you know, as a two-guard, giving you the defensive pressure, knowing his place, playing within himself, and I think that's, you know, that's a role he'll be comfortable in, and maybe that's the best place for him, and maybe that'll help the organization, and they may keep him. His value will increase once he knows where he stands. He's not a number one. He's not a point guard. I think we've learned that. He doesn't have that kind of handle. It's just, it's, it's better, but it's not what you need to be a number one point guard in the NBA. So I think maybe having him settle into his position, I think that helps the team. It helps him. I think he'll have more confidence and he'll just play better. But, you know, that's, you know, that's what we saw the last couple of games, and I think that's where it's going to be. Now, as far as Tom Thibodeau as a coach, you know, the guy is going to give himself a stroke or a coronary because you saw those first two preseasons, he was already losing it. And, you know, this is, this is the Knicks. This is not even the Timberwolves or the Bulls. Yeah, this is a team that's really terrible. 
So he's going to really get himself into a medical emergency at some point. And we have to tell him to calm down because, you know, th- these guys are not up to the task of, you know, of winning the type of games that, that Tom is going to expect. And, and we will win games. I mean, it's, you, have, you have players who can do some nice things. I mean, you have, you know, between Mitchell and Nerlens, you have, you have really good rim protectors. You have some of the best guys in the league who can do that. And if R.J. Barrett can step up and be the type of leader that the Knicks expected when they drafted him third, yeah, that gives you something. And I, if you have a surprise or two along the way, if Obi Toppin can you know, keep getting better and maybe get that three-point shot as a more featured part of his weaponry, that would be great. And I'm a big believer in Emmanuel Quickly. I think he's a really nice player. And I think he's, you know, as low as he was drafted, I mean, obviously, when you're in the, drafted in the 20s, you know, it kind of says to you and the league and the team you're drafted, you're like, you're good, but, you know, I don't know if you're going to be a player that we're going to rely on in any kind of meaningful way. But I think in this case, because the way this typical, this NBA draft was not a typical draft, and it wasn't top-loaded, and a tremendous amount of the talent is hidden or dispersed all throughout the draft. So I think you're going to be, going to be players drafted in the high teens and the 20s and even above that, that in other years, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe they would have been drafted in another position or maybe they're, they'll take longer to develop. But I like Emmanuel quickly. I thought the way he came into that game, the way he ball handled, and if you notice... Right from the moment he entered, he was your point guard. There was no ambiguity. I think Tom Thibodeau and I think the brain trust looks at him and says, this is a player we drafted, and it seemed like we drafted him as a two-guard, but no. That was the position he was you know, put in in Kentucky, and he was allowed to develop his, his three-point shot and his, and his game as a, as a two-guard. But the truth is, yes, he was a point guard in high school, he was recruited as a point guard, and his, his stint in Kentucky, I don't think, has changed who he is. He's a point guard. This is a player who wants the ball, who can ball handle, who can move the offense, who's his emotion type of point guard. And if he has the ability to hit the three-point shot and make some moves, yeah, I'd like to see him do a little better around the basket. I mean, he's not, he's not quite Isaiah Thomas, but it's funny thing that that's – I keep going back to it. Every time I watch quickly, whether it's in a highlight or whether his, you know, his short amount of playing time in the preseason so far, I mean, he's got a Isaiah Thomas vibe. The way he's bouncy, he's not that tall. I mean, Isaiah was only about 6'1". I think quickly is somewhere in between 6'2 and 6'3". Um, but, you know, the, his bounciness, his, you know, his energy, his, you know, his confidence, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of Isaiah in there. It's in, in a good way, not the bad Isaiah that ran the Knicks. But, you know, it's that same type of, you know, point guard mentality. Isaiah was a tremendously skilled player, though, and it's going to be tough. And Isaiah, of course, could shoot the ball, and his drives were incredible. So he's, you know, definitely not at that level. But there are certain things that he did that reminded me of Isaiah. And, well, the rest of the team, I mean, you got to see, um, you know, our, you know, our, some of our other players that were, you know, not. I mean, Bullock is 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 your steady player. Peyton, you know, did fine. 
So I think, you know, you're going to be seeing those guys a lot. He's going to, I think Tibbs is going to rely on Peyton and Reggie Bullock and guys who can, you know, steady, you know, steady the action because the young guys are going to be all over the place. Um, so I think, yeah, we'll see how the season goes. I mean, because I think we have to end on, which is a pretty down note because the player who is, um, I think, regressed year after year you know, and that, you know, it's at some point the Knicks are going to have to figure out a solution that's uh, Kevin Knox. And Kevin Knox is one of those players who you, you're trying to root for him. He seems like a good guy. He seems like you know, he's, he's a player that you really want to succeed. And you, there are times when you look at his jump shot and you say, wow, he's got such a sweet, nice jump shot. Why can't he do that? the problem is the rest of his game is just it's just not there it's it's a it's not a heady game it's not a game that's filled with confidence um he doesn't have the you know that whatever that piece of you of you that knows how to put yourself into control or how to you know limit your inefficient movements um there's almost like a coordination issue like he doesn't seem to have that level of coordination and he makes bad decisions. He takes bad shots. Um, it's like you want him to just concentrate on his jump shooting. His defensive skills are just not there. He's not a Tom Thibodeau type of a player. And the Knicks have given him now. This will be the same thing. This will be his basically his third year operating. And we're and we're not any we're nowhere near as close to an NBA level player. So that's it's kind of a sad way to end. But that's. You know, it's this is a year of hard decisions. This is a year of what do we do with Dennis Smith Jr.? What do we do with Kevin Knox? What do we do with Frank Nilakina? You know, these these supposed you know cornerstone young players. You know, two out of three are, in my opinion, not salvageable. And I think that the Knicks have to, you know, get rid of emotion and just say, okay, well, you know what, didn't work out, move on. And Frank Nilakina will have a role on the team, and I hope they keep him. Who knows? He'll, he's always going to be in demand from teams around the league looking for that defensive stopper in the, in the backcourt. So he's, he's going to have a job for a while. That's not going to be the issue. But as far as Knox and as far as Dennis Smith Jr., you know, I think they're taking up roster space from players who may end up contributing more. So, you know, we have one win. We have one loss. We have Tom Thibodeau, who's, who may have a myocardial infarction at some point. Based on you know two games, you know, I don't know how he's going to make it through a complete season with this team. You know when he starts, you know watching his team give up, you know five ten point leads in in two minutes. Yeah, I think we're going to have a problem. Um, I think the Knicks, you know, they have a long way to go, and we have a lot of young players who are just learning the game, and we have a lot of other young players who probably shouldn't be around. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. We have, more, we have more to come, and this is just the beginning. So if, you, if we want to leave on a, on a positive note, because I think that's important as Nick fans, we can't end everything as a negative horror show, take away the, these couple of good things. R.J. Barrett, in his, in his uh, second half of the first game and his entire uh, game two, you're seeing a player mature and develop and his his shots starting to look a little better. 
you know, his in-between jumpers are looking nicer. I'll hope to get those three-pointers maybe into play. He's becoming a better player. I think we're seeing it. So hopefully that continues. Um, Opie Toppin. Yeah, game two, not quite as great. He's got some defensive liabilities he's going to have to work on. But you know what? Game one showed you a player who can do some things. You know, you get him around the basket. He can make some spins. He can make some good passes. He's a, I think he's going to be a decent player. I think we hope we have someone there. He's athletic. Um, he's an energy guy. I think we'll see more of that as time goes on. So it's a, that's a good one. So those two things. And uh, Emmanuel Quickly, why not? I like Emmanuel Quickly. I think he'll be good. Give him some opportunities. Let him play some more. I think he'll, he's going to end up being your backup point guard. And depending on what happens this year, he may be playing a lot. So that's, that's it. That's a wrap on this one. This is 1973 in New York Knicks podcast. My name is Alan Feller. And, uh, hey, we're starting up again. I can't wait.